on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Welcome to another edition of the Orient Hour here on Phoenix FM with myself, Chris Hood. The show all about the comings and goings in E10. Another fantastic panel joining me in the studio tonight for a journo special. We have Paul Hiscock, E10 contributor, contributor, we'll go with that. Trevor Davis, the East London Advertisers, George Sessions, the Guardian's Martin Bellum and Dream Team's Andrew Butler. If you've got a question uh, for the panel tonight or a comment about the week in E10, and I'm sure you do, loads of ways to get in touch tonight. It's the Orient Hour on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a follow and like while you're over there you can also email the studio direct radio at phoenixfm.com don't forget if you miss our live show you can catch any of our previous editions on phoenixfm.com and we're now available on itunes and android podcasting apps Before we speak with our panel, let's have a look back on yesterday's uh, exciting day of action in Lancashire. The O's trailed to filed off the back of Tuesday night's one-all draw at Eastleigh as Macaulay Bond's second-half equaliser rescued a point for the O's. However, as a result, Orient had slipped to third, a point off top of the table, Salford. The O's, in fact, won uh, two and drawn two of the last four in the league and could look to an undefeated away league record with five wins and four draws so far. Opponents filed, having reached the playoffs last season and continued their form into this year, extending their unbeaten league run to nine with a 1-0 home victory over Gateshead on Tuesday night, uh, Danny Rose scoring the 90th minute winner. That meant that the Coasters sat fifth, two points behind the O's going into the game and on the record of winning the last three games, scoring nine and not conceding a single goal. A home fold had uh, been imperious, winning seven, drawing one and losing only one in the league. And with both sides having only lost one league game each all season, it was set to be a tight affair. The fixture was made more intriguing when you looked at the goals for and against. Orient, uh, having conceded 11 in 18 league games, uh, was a figure only bettered by two sides, one of them the hosts, who led the league with 7 in 18. And in terms of league goal scores, the O's had managed 35 in 18, putting them third in the league, with Fold a place behind, scoring 29 in the same number of games. Of course, another intriguing battle would be that between two of the National League's leading marksmen, Macaulay Bond having scored 12 and Fold's Danny Rowe at 11 up to the point of the game yesterday. Now, would Orient's problems at fullback, though, decide the game? Uh, Miles Judd was due to be suspended for the fixture after picking up his fifth yellow against Eastley on Tuesday night, and Sam Ling was a, a slight doubt after missing out on Tuesday as a precaution. However, Joe Widowson uh, would return to the side after serving his three-game ban for receiving a red against Hartlepool. 
Onto the match, and Orient recorded their second win of the week after a 3-1 victory at AFC Fold's Mill Farm. Macaulay Bond scored the opener after four minutes, but that was cancelled out by Fold Danger Man Rowe on the 20th minute mark. But Orient were back in front by half-time with a wonderful Josh Caroma goal. Uh, that's before the uh, forwards scored, uh, secured three very important points on the road, with his second shortly after the turnaround. Uh, in yesterday's other action, it was a very uh, interesting day yesterday. Aldershot uh, picked up a 1-0 victory against Braintree Town, Adam McDonald scoring the 83rd minute. Mason United won 2-0 at Barnet. Bromley, who uh, Orient uh, next uh, play in a couple of weeks' time, they won 4-0 against Hartlepool United. Dover, 2-0 victors against Maidenhead. Salford City only able to draw one all at Eastleigh. Uh, Lois Maynard uh, scoring in the 90th minute, the equaliser for Salford. Ebsleet pulled out a 1-0 victory against uh, Barrow. Uh, ended Harrogate Town 1, Chesterfield 1. Having the Waterlooville uh, doing really well since actually Orient uh, defeated them. 2-1 victors against FC Halifax. It was 0-0 between Solihull Moors and Boreham Wood. Sutton United uh, picked up a 1-0 victory against Dagenham and Redbridge. And uh, Wrexham, they won 3-1 against Gateshead. Um, so, as a result, uh, Orient move up to seconds. They're a point off top of the table, Wrexham, and a point clear of Salford in third. And uh, as I mentioned, the O's now don't play until the home game against 14th place Bromley on November the 17th, as next weekend sees a break in league action for the first round proper of the FA Cup. Uh, that game is, of course, uh, the O's second football for a fiver game of the season. And uh, we just a handful of tickets remaining. Uh, fans have been asked by the club to pass on your ticket if you can't make it. Um, alternative, you can turn it to reception or by post to uh, Leighton or an FC, the Bray Group Stadium, uh, Brisbane Road, Leighton, E10-5NF. Anyway, after the match, uh, Ozone's Dave Victor uh, spoke with the boss, a very satisfied Justin Edinburgh. Well, Justin, thanks for joining us. Congratulations, a massive win, huge performance. Huge win, uh, very good performance and... Um you know, uh, a massive three points for us against, you know, a, a team that I believe will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. Achieved in di- under difficult circumstances in terms of that driving wind and rain in the second half. Yeah, and obviously the, the disruption in the injury to Charlie Lee so early on. Um, but, you know, I thought um, we coped with that. We coped with the conditions and, and I thought we looked a real threat on the counter-attack today with not only Josh Caroma. You know, James Dayton, James Brophy and uh, Macaulay Bond. That's a real threat whenever we uh, regain possession. And, and you know, it, we, the, the chances that come along with dispatch clinically. Josh Cromer is an exciting prospect and uh, we've seen some quality goals. But that was probably the best today, wasn't it? That's his first one. Yeah, no, I thought he was excellent today. He had the real bit between his teeth. You know, with myself and him had spoken a week. I just felt... He needed to be a bit more uh, ruthless, be a bit more positive, and uh, he certainly gave us that today. So much movement up front. Yeah, no, I think you know the front four give us real good uh, energy, real threat on the break, and um, like I say, I, I just felt that you know as, didn't probably have as much as the ball we'd like today. We knew that uh, they're a possession-based team, and, and we knew they were a good team. But yeah, when we did have it, I thought we were we were very clinical and very. Rufus with, with our decision making today In the league they've gone over 600 minutes without conceding and Leighton went created plenty of chances with us the three that have gone in Yeah no we could have had others today um, so that, that would probably be my only criticism of the players that you know we could have really um, got more goals than we did but you know that's, that's being a little bit greedy but I thought listen I think we remain unbeaten on the road it's a very good record and this was a, a, a fantastic uh, victory today. And Fylde has scored nine goals in the last three league games and there was a superb save in the second half from Dean Brill. 
needed to be. You know, it was um, a crucial point in the game. You know, but just starting to to come back into it, foul. But um, yeah, Dean, great save when he was called upon, um, and that's what he's there for. Well, it was a great performance yesterday and uh, Justin Edinburgh, uh, rightly, uh, very happy with speaking with uh, Dave Victor after the game. Uh, we're joined tonight for a journalist special by uh, Paul Hiscock, Trevor Davis, George Sessions, Martin Bellum and Andrew Butler. And uh, Paul, well, as Justin says, a uh, huge win and uh, a massive three points. It was a massive three points and all credit to him because the game was three minutes old uh, when Charlie Lee went down injured. So uh, he came off the field. I think it's a medial... Uh, knee ligament problem that he's got or it immediately had to reshuffle Joby McEnough came from his normal position wide um, on the flanks to go in midfield and um, we already had Craig Clay at right back standing in for Miles Judd slash Sam Ling neither who was available for different reasons um, and when you lose a player after three minutes all your pre all your pre-game planning completely goes out the window and Charlie Lee I think had already made a couple of uh, sort of important interceptions at that stage uh, so to reorganise from that um, was terrific Files should have scored um, how the guy missed the goal I don't know so he could have been one nought down um, immediately as Justin said there, or it dangerous on the counter punch, went up the other end. Uh, Josh Caroma set up a chance from McCauley Bond. And from that moment on, although uh, they did equalise uh, Fylde, I always thought it favoured Dior. The wind... Um, well, I heard was, it was terrible in the second uh, half. It, it was. I mean, it was a, there was a moderate wind in the first half. The second half, it just increased as the game wore on. Um, and that was to Orient's favour. I mean, there was a couple of incidents where Dean Brill kicked the ball out. It won bounce and it went off for a goal kick at the other end. Um, but that was another, if you like, another defender for the Orient. Um, so, yeah, terrific. But anybody who gets the opportunity, watch Josh Caroma's first goal. It's it's something special. If it had been scored in the Premiership, it would be rammed down our throats minute after minute. It really was a special effort. So, uh, yeah, have a look at that. A tremendous th- three points. The only downside, losing Charlie Lee. No, the, the great goals have been a, a little bit of a trend this season. We've seen some, some, we've seen some scrappy goals, but we've seen some beautiful goals from the O's as well, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting uh, talking um, up there about um, what Orient need to do perhaps to strengthen the squad. And talk went on to the strikers. What happens if Macaulay Bond was was to be unavailable for all sorts of reasons? Um, You can go on and on about what if. Uh, But the talk was, does he need another strike partner? Uh, Josh Caroma certainly answered that one. And I think the viewpoint was that Macaulay Bond and Josh Caroma are the ideal partnership up there. Macaulay Bond's had all sorts of different striking partners with him. None have been as effective as Josh Caroma. You will get inconsistencies with Josh because he's a young player still learning his trade. So, um, as I say, you will get inconsistency in his game um, and Justin has got options to bring on if he needs to. But for me, the Bond-Caroma partnership could be very, very lethal this season. Um, four points picked up on on the week, Trev, and I was saying to you in in the build up to the show, we're all hoping for four points on the week. So yeah, two points a game, keep that ratio going. Perhaps didn't get the four points exactly the the way we thought we would have. You would expect maybe the three points on Tuesday night, and then taking a point against Fold, considering they're flying. Yeah, it probably came the other way around, really. And really, it was seven points in a week if you look at the uh, Avent and Waterlooville game, and I think. 
the big thing that it underlines is how well they've probably bounced back from they lost at Sutton, they went out of the cup, and it was how would they really respond to that. Um, and, you know, they've responded with 11 points from five games, which is more than the two points a game you probably need if you're going to win the title. So, you know, they're back on track. Um, you know, you always wonder what will happen if there's a stutter, but it's been a seamless, you know, from there they've just gone on and, you know, they're looking good. They've actually, you know, beat, had some great results against the top sides. 3-0 at Harrogate, 3-1 yesterday. They beat Solly Elmore's 3-0 at home. So they're capable. I think all those are in the top five. They're actually capable of going and beating top five sides. And, well, the, Martin, the Tuesday night was, and there's no way of painting it, it, it was a disappointing result, considering especially how Orient had come out of the game against Haven and Waterlooville. You thought, right, let's go. Let's get, uh, let's get some points against Eastleigh, and then let's look at what's going to happen against Fold at the weekend. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a disappointing result in uh, my house because I've been hoping to get to the Eastley game and then because of work commitments I couldn't travel. Um, and then there was a heated debate about whether we were going to watch the Bake Off final or listen to the Orient commentary. And I regret to inform listeners that Bake Off won. But I mean, I think, you know, in a way um, it was a setback and people were very disappointed at the result. But I think they were a little unlucky, actually. If you look at um, the goal that was disallowed early on, it could have taken a 1-0 lead early on. And certainly um, Elliot, whoever was editing the video at Orient, was pretty certain it was a goal because there were three super slow motion <laughs> replays in, in things. And it, and it also, but it, I mean, it highlighted something that I've been thinking about being in this league and... We get a lot of complaints about the standard of the officials and that it really is a step down from what you see in the Football League. But I must confess, I think it was um, I think it was the Barnet home game. I was looking at the guy running the line and thinking he was maybe a little bit younger than me, but kind of looked in his early 40s, maybe late 30s at push. And I was thinking, oh, he's, he's trying to keep pace with Josh Caroma for 90 minutes. And I was just thinking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And so, you know, I feel like it was disappointing, but I feel like you've got to make some kind of allowance there for for the for the officiating you know there were a lot of people were disappointed with that easily result but you say four points out of the the two away games I mean I don't think anyone can really be unhappy with that Josh Karoma offside Andrew no, I don't think so I was there on Tuesday night and um, you know from we were sat behind um, the goal so it's not a great place to to see offside decisions from granted but even from the replays doesn't look offside and actually early goals have been uh, really crucial for for in this season as soon as we get an early goal it looks like we can go on progress and then win the game I think that's what we were lacking against Eastley I think if that goes in we get the confidence every player knows you know we've got a goal or two more in us I think that's what happened yesterday Um, get an early goal push on get a couple more as well over the course of the game haven't as well last Saturday we got two in 20 minutes and you can see that the team you know pick up and just go you know what we're one of the best teams if not the best team in in this league um we can get an early goal if that you know if that's the case then then they go on and get one or two more I think the disallowed goal which we'll call it against CC on Tuesday was a uh, was a real blow um but I don't think it wasn't a, a terrible result EC actually looked pretty organized I think they showed that again yesterday against um, Salford, who got a really, really late um, equaliser against them. Um, or it was just a slight touch off. A few passes went awry. It was quite uncharacteristic, actually, in terms of the performance. But, you know, a draw is a draw, and it wasn't a, a terrible result in um, under the circumstances. Well, I think one of the things about the Havant game as well that you mentioned, like taking the chances early, I think we've all been to a million games at Brisbane Road where we've kind of ended up losing 1-0 or 2-1 because we didn't take all our chances and there was some criticism after that game and as I noticed that Justin said it 
after the foul game as well that maybe we could have taken mm. more chances and, and pushed on but as you say with the Haven game it's like the two goals in 18 minutes and it, it just felt like the game was a done deal you never really felt that they were under pressure again you get that sort of thing and then you know it means that players like Charlie Lee just you know have a pop from 25 yards and that one goes in and you kind of go right 3-0 before half time happy days and you know three points in the back I think the thing that hurt possibly more about Eastleigh is you, you see the result and then you think right what, what did Wrexham do what did Salford do and Orient go from position again of topping the table and then suddenly from nowhere you've slipped to third yeah I mean the, the top five top six is um, is it's very very tight still at the moment annoyingly tight for um, for those of an Orient persuasion because I think at this point in the season you know, come the start of December we would have had half the season and if it's still only three points between you know first and third you'll be thinking goodness it's going to be still really really tricky to get out of, out of the division as you know as league leaders but um, you know Orient are just holding up their side of the bargain by only being undefeated once in 19 games Well and George you look at the, the, the game on Tuesday night and look at it now through the filter of having the games that were yesterday Orient pick up the win pick up four points in two games and Salford struggle to get a, a point again at Eastleigh so suddenly Tuesday doesn't look half as bad one game removed to be honest I don't understand why we're all, well, everyone was so disappointed about Tuesday I think you can't this is a division we've all been in for a year now you can't disrespect any team in this league and especially Eastleigh Eastleigh are not main head they're not brain tree they're a, they're a team full of ex-professionals you know, some very good players. Paul McCallum scored a decent amount of goals for him and he's scoring goals there. So I was a bit bemused, really, by the sort of outcry on Twitter that people were fuming that Orient had gone from first to third just because they'd drawn one or Eastleigh. Drawing away from home is more than adequate in this league. And we all spoke about that four-point average a game. Well, Orient, have, I think they would have backed themselves. And if you look at it, really, they beat Haven and they drew Eastleigh. Ignoring the fold game coming up, that is four points in two games. So for me, even before them going the way to fold, I was never looking at that Eastleigh result as a bad game. And <coughs> and Salford going there and, and struggling improves it. And I think Andrew's right, that they are a good side. So that was always a decent result for me. Well, and I don't know about you. This season in the National League, and I don't know how much you've been watching previous season, this more than ever seems a thrilling season. I mean, two points separating... Uh, the, the top three, six points between Wrexham in first and Fold in sixth. It's not a division for the faint of heart this season. You've really got to be on the metal. It, yeah, you do. But I also think it was it was quite similar this time last year because I remember when um, I remember when Steve Davis got sacked and Orient the first game Orient had when Ross Emerson was in charge was against Dover, and they were the leaders. Um, and then I've got a feeling when Orient played Sutton. Sutton were the leaders so that was in the space of two weeks you had Dover of Orient playing the leaders and then it was Sutton you know the lead did change hand a hell of a lot that first couple of months of last season um, and actually I think already you can see there's Salford, Orient and Wrexham as the three that have kind of you know jumped ahead of the chasing pack and last year it wasn't like that I don't think um, certainly not at this stage I think there was a good five or six teams that were separated by a couple of points so I know Obviously, you always look at the present and you, we look at this league table and you think, oh, he's really tight and oh, it's a shame more in a second or it's a shame they're third. But I think the fact that they've got a gap between fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh is massive at the moment. And for me, I, I wouldn't really worry about where Orient are in that top three until February time, March time, because there's going to be so many twists and turns between now and then. 
what is important for Orient, in my opinion, is to be in the top three come March, and then you power you come home the last six, seven weeks of the season, and then that's going to be the difference between promotion as champions or trying to go up for the playoffs. But now it's first, second, or third. I personally don't think it's that that important. The, the main thing is building a gap between fourth, fifth, and sixth. I think an illustration of how tight it is actually, and I think it's going to be quite difficult to get out of the league, is that. Orient have got 40 points from their first 19 games. I did look, and the last time they won promotion under Martin Ling, they had th- th- they took 34 points from their first 19 games. So they're already six points ahead of what they were um, when they went up in 2006. Now I know three went up in, the, in you know then, and only one goes up. But it shows how well everyone's doing at the moment. Another thing I noticed before um, this 19th game, I think Macclesfield last year had 32 points. So, say for example, they won that 19th game, they're still five points behind what Orient have now, and Orient are not actually top with that. So I think it just shows you that, you know, perhaps this season is even, you know, it's even more hard to predict, really. But I would still back Orient with the points they have got, and especially the momentum they've got, because to lose one in 19 is very, very good. I'd still expect them to stay there the distance now, and then it's just about whether they hold their nerve in, in those last couple of weeks. I mean, it certainly is a, a league to watch, Martin, and it's probably what, what's happened this season is whereas anyone, and everyone can still beat anyone on the day, there seems to be now more of a divide between the top teams in the division and the teams a little bit lower down in the division. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's going to be incredibly nerve-wracking at the end of the season. I'm not, I expect it to continue being that tight for the for the. Uh, you know, and and it's also worth remembering that the playoffs are structured differently to what we've been used to in the league, and so actually finishing second and third is definitely an advantage. And they really, if they're not going to finish first, then really trying to keep the pressure on up up there. I just the the thing that worries me sometimes is you see kind of the fan reaction to getting a draw at Eastley, and it's inevitable that we're going to lose games along the way. You know, we've got. Uh, the big football for a fiver game coming up, and then away to Wrexham, which could be, you know, possibly still a top of the table first versus second clash. And I think there'll be a lot of pressure on that game. And I think if Orient don't get the result that we'd want, you can see that there'd be a lot of worry and anxiety from the fans that I don't think is necessarily deserved at this stage of the season because we're not going to go through the whole of the rest of the season only losing one game, I should imagine. So we're going to have to deal with those setbacks again. Um, I think one of the things that I'm quite interested in as well is, is you know, having the week off allows people to you know, recover from some of those knocks and strains. But I'll be interested to see whether they arrange another closed doors friendly for that weekend because there's another few National League teams who are in that position of not having a match. We've already had a couple during the season. I well, um, Fowles, who we played yesterday, got were knocked out of the cup by, by Chesterfield. So yeah, I, I suspect they might not fancy us back. No, they're no, probably not. <laughs> Just uh, relax, guys. Just have faith in Justin Edinburgh. Mm. I think we're... Trevor made the point there about the last promotion season. I think we're probably four or five points ahead of where they would have reasonably planned us to be. Um, There'll be two teams battling it out by the end of the season. That's Lake Norrington and Wrexham. Um, And I think we've got a better squad than Wrexham. Justin Edinburgh, I don't think, is going to make any slip-ups from here on. Just trust in him. Um, The way we're playing, yeah, um, maybe Eastley was or wasn't a disappointment. You're not going to go through the whole season winning every single game just because we're late Norrin and we're a bigger club than the opposition that we're playing. Um, the fact that yesterday, for example, 
the game management, when we were 3-1 up, um, he was right, there was reference there to a save that Dean Brill made, and it was an outstanding save. I mean, we eulogise about goals. Um, we should also eulogise about outstanding saves. But he made the save, and as Justin said there, I think he alluded to, well, that's what he's there for. Uh, but it was an exceptional save. But the game management, right at the end, the last four or five minutes, so much so that Danny Rowe was sub- actually substituted. And for a side that's 3-1 down to substitute your leading goal scorer because virtually that was a sign that they'd thrown the hat into, hat, uh, <coughs> wave the white flag as it were. Um, and all credit to Coulson and Nick Pateta who kept her fairly tight on it. He'd scored a good goal um, and it was a good goal. Some goals are unstoppable and I, Dave Victor wasn't too sure and neither was uh, my son um, that it was a worthy goal. They thought he might keeper might have done better or in fact the defence might have closed him down a bit quicker um, I just think when somebody like Danny Rowe unleashes from 20 yards with a win behind him um, it's got something special to keep that ball out of the net um, but uh, I, I, I have every faith in Justin Heading but let him do all the worrying um, and I, I, I doubt that he is worried he's been and done it all before hasn't he um do like getting your messages during the show, the Orient Hour on Facebook and Twitter. You can email the studio direct, radio at phoenixfm.com. Um, we've got a comment uh, in uh, about the Easter game and then coming into fold. Uh, swings and roundabouts, chaps. Uh, unlucky with the offside goal on Tuesday, uh, but that was definitely a foul by Coroma in the build-up to our first goal uh, yesterday. Um, I did see someone comment this and I thought, well... It's a man's game, isn't it? It's men's football, and uh, and it's one of those things that maybe higher up on or on another day, the referee does give that for a, for a little bit of a push. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, um, I mean, one of the guys mentioned about the f- lack of fitness of some of these officials, and I've been very outspoken about the referees, as you know, Chris, in this division. I mean, we used to moan about them in League One. We've gone down two divisions since then, so and I don't think the standard's going to. Um, there's no excuse for an official being unfit, um, and if he is, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be out there. Um, you know, managers managers' jobs are on the line here. Clubs' very futures are on the line, and I don't particularly want to see Orion or Justin Edinburgh's future um, swayed by an official who wasn't able to keep up with play. Um, I mean, that's you know, I just can't accept it. I don't think the problem is. I don't think the officials work as a team. There's four of them. And although they're all wired up to each other, you get referees who just want to be the star of the show and it doesn't really matter what the other three think. Um, There are other referees that sort of ask for help, don't seem to be getting much of it. Um, And I just think they need to work better as a team. Certainly, I take the point that if you've got the likes of Josh Caroma, uh, you've got to be reasonably fit. But you've got officials either side. Um, can't expect the referee to be covering every inch of ground. Some do. Some are very good. Um, some are pretty hopeless, I think. Um, but I don't think they're helped by the lack of association um, and input from their officials. Do you think so, Trevor? I, I don't know. I think whoever made the point is, is, is roundabouts and swings. And over the course of a season, I'm a great believer that things are even themselves out. Well, the and interesting you get the thing... good decisions, you can get the bad decisions. It, and you just it's have to take it's no comment, team. obviously, about the, the two referees, but obviously, reading the preview for Tuesday night, you see a referee there. It's his first National League game of the season. You see the referee on Saturday. I think this is his 11th or 12th. So it, it, experience is, all the, it, it is what it's all about sometimes. But as you say... Well, a foul on one day is not a foul on another day. And also, one day you'll get the most experienced referee in the league, the next day you won't. So I think you can't really take that into account. You just have to take it as a view over the whole season. I think Martin made an interesting point. I think 
They've taken more points away from home this season, or they've taken 22 points away from home. I think when you get a big gate and the Bromley one's going to be massive, it does put more pressure on the team. The team are going to feel that pressure coming out in front of a great big, you know, full house. And I think it helps the other teams raise their game. I think Orient and the way they play will find it a lot easier away from home. And I don't think they, I think they could almost go through the season unbeaten away. You know, they've gone to Salford and got a point. They've gone to Harrogate and got three. They've been to Fylde and got three. But I think the pressure is sometimes on them at home if they don't get that early goal because teams will just come and park the bus and it makes it very, very difficult, as, as Sutton proved. Um, as I say, my feeling is that they, I, I prefer to see them play more games away. I think the Bromley game will be a really interesting one because it will be a, a big gate again. Um, Hartlepool, you could see that the players occasionally aren't, aren't used to um, a, such a big crowd. And so you can, you know, the, there is a reasonable expectation that you can get slightly overawed by it. But I think as, as, as the game went on, and it was full credit to Justin Edinburgh for bringing on four strikers at the end of the game again when we only had 10 men, um, I thought it was a, a genius move. We didn't get the goal, unfortunately. But we're, we can be really good entertainers as well. And so I hope actually when we play against Bromley, if there's a big crowd, the players can come out and go, look, we're going to entertain. The, the, um, everyone's come out here, won a good game of football. We're you know, almost top of the league. We can beat Bromley. Um, why don't we just go and you know, prove what we can do? Well, I think they put on a show really against Haven. It was still mm. a decent crowd then. And I think Trev just made a really big point. For me, Orient at home is all about that first goal. If they get the first goal early, it invites the opposition onto them, then gaps open up and people like Karoma are going to have a field day and you know Joby and, and James Dayton as well. So with that Bromley game, if Orient can score early, I'd expect them to go on and probably win 2-3-0 fairly comfortably. But the longer it stays nil-nil, the more Bromley get a sense that they're in the game and, and then that's when the nerves filter into the fans. And, and if you've got 6,000 there... You know, there's more people to get nervous if it's, if it's nil-nil. So it is all about that first goal for me, especially at home. Um, just talking about, uh, obviously, the away games, uh, the stat did come out today from uh, the Orient's official Twitter that um, that game yesterday uh, made sure that Orient equaled a club record for the longest unbeaten run away from home in the league um, in a season. So they'll be going um, to try and break that uh, in the next uh, away game. It's obviously Orient uh, breaking a lot of records this season. Not all of them uh, wanted records, of course, not being in uh, action this week. And I, like you, Martin, would expect this going to be a, there's got to be a friendly this week. Uh, Justin spoke um, about resting the players during the week and uh, we're preparing for Bromley straight away. Well, there is such thing as having too much time to prepare and thinking about an opposition for two weeks is a long, long time um, to be thinking about and, and you just want to be playing um, during that time. And um, it was a key game for the O's um, yesterday. Um, Salford on the opening day of the season was a draw. O's overcame Harrogate on their patch in some style. And, and now this, it is, Martin, the, the O's putting a, a marker down, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I also think when you think about having the break for two weeks, I don't think you would have wanted to go into that break on the back of a defeat, and especially against one of the teams who you think are going to be up there towards the end of the season looking at the playoffs. So, you know, I think everyone would have gone home feeling like it was a job well, well done yesterday. And, you know, Paul, you mentioned the, the game management and it really didn't feel like, you know, the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the game. It, again, it really felt like the game was done and dusted and, and they weren't going to get back into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a worry going into a fortnight. And, and I think, again, it's that you talk about the nervousness of the fans. I think that would have put, again, even more pressure on that, that Bromley, the start of that Bromley game. You, George, you put a punt in for it for result of the season so far, didn't you? 
Uh, yeah, I think it 100% is because um, you really can't underestimate how good a side Fylde are. Um, I had to do a feature about them early in the season and they've you know, they've got a lot of money behind them. Um, and Danny Rowe, as we've all mentioned, has scored a hat full of goals. He's alongside Bonner, is probably the best forward outside of the Football League, I'd say. Um, and they do play a very hard... It's a possession-based football, that's what Justin said, and, and they really do try and pass the ball around. And you don't normally get that in the National League. Um, and although Orient went away to Harrogate and won 3-0, I don't personally feel Harrogate will be in the playoffs come the end of the season, whereas I'm 99% confident Fylde will despite them, them losing yesterday. You know, they've only lost one game all year, and that was the Salford, who I again expect to be in the title race. So I think, bearing in mind, Orient only drew away to Salford. The fact they went to Fylde, won 3-1, and as Paul mentioned about the game management, you know, to, to win by two-goal margin away to Fylde, who have conceded, what, seven goals all year? You know, they almost conceded sort of half of what that total was in one game. I think it's such a good result. And... The confidence the players will get from this is huge. I think they'll, you know, they'll go to Wrexham in what is was in November twenty fourth. They'll go to Wrexham and, and they'll think, you know, we just went to fold. We can we can beat Wrexham easily. And and if they go there and get another good result, I think Paul's right. I think I think they could go the whole rest of the season unbeaten away from home. Um, looking at the game yesterday, and, and as we spoke about, or in out possession for a lot of the game and, and playing mostly on the counter attack and. Um, the Orient are set up to attack on the counter with the front four yesterday, Bond, Caroma, Brophy and Dayton to some extent. There's pure, there's pure pace there and, and energy there in that front four. So having that playing on the counter away from home really played to Orient's advantage, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And I think, um, as the guys have said, I think the Orient find it easier to play away from home, to be honest with you. No home team is going to park the bus in front of their own fans. They've got to come out and take the game to the Orient. And that suits the Orient style, I think, Chris. Um, at home, yeah, there is an element of tension and pressure, I think. And get that early goal and you've almost got a 12th man with the crowd support getting behind you. If you go a goal behind or you know, you're on level terms, yeah, maybe that uh, does work against you. But playing in front of five, five and a half thousand fans each week and you go off to Fylde, who are on a bit of a roll, but playing in front of 2,000 fans... Um, I'm going to worry teams like the Orient uh, where they can get they'll hear the coaching from Justin Edinburgh and Ross Embleton and uh, Danny Webb way way above the roar of the uh, 2000 filed crowd and Orient silenced them by half time that crowd had been silenced and all right, the key was uh, the next goal was going to be crucial and the Orient certainly had to survive for the first 15-20 minutes of the second half which they did admirably Assisted, as I say, in no small measure by the by the wind, which um, increased as the game wore on, and that played into Warrant's hands even more. But uh, you know, one, for all sorts of reasons, you shouldn't underestimate that performance. That was that was a superb performance, and if George called it the performance of the season, I don't think anybody that was there uh, would question that. It really was an excellent show. Uh, it wasn't how obviously how they set up from the get go though because it was only when um, Charlie Lee came off after I think it was nine minutes for Brophy that caused a, a reshuffle and Joby to move into the centre. Um, were you concerned when when Charlie went off because he, he's been a big part of Orient's start to the season and that the two of them in the centre Clay and, and Lee you're, you're relying on a, a good midfield in that sort of game. Well, yeah, indeed, and Clay had stepped into the right back position um, and it. For me, it took him some while to settle into that position, understandably. And there was a there was a while where 
um, when we were on the defence, um, he and James Dayton didn't seem to be quite sure who was supposed to be picking up who. Um, they worked on that and just at Edinburgh, um, these coaching staff drilled in, got home the message to them. Um, and by the end, Craig Clay looked very, very comfortable at fullback. Um, it was a problem because I don't think Joby is as effective, to be honest with you, in centre midfield as he is out on the flanks where he's got a bit of where he's got a bit of width um, and uh, freedom to play. So yeah, there wasn't actually a, a ball winner in the middle of the park there um, because Gorman's good going forward, Joby's good going forward. So yeah, there was a bit of concern, um, but that's where Ekpateta and Josh Coulson did a superb job. But the work rate um, was superb from Brophy and Dayton as well. I mean, we harassed, uh, we put. They put Fylde under pressure. I think, did you say there that Fylde had more possession of the ball? Well, they, they, they were playing the very... Orient <laughs> were playing on the, the counter-attack, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Well, I mean, Le- Leicester went through a whole Premier League season with having yeah. less than 50% of the possession of the ball, didn't they? So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were very few questions asked of, of Dean Brill, it has to be said. Uh, those that were asked... Um, he was obviously equal to, um, apart from the Danny Rowe <laughs> goal. Uh, but that, as I said earlier, that was a superb goal. Um, but I just all over the pitch, the Orient looked comfortable as they have in most of their games this season. Um, and goes back to the fact that this is fifth tier football, so there will be incons- inconsistencies along the way. Um, but I just think that looking at squad for squad, uh, man for man in these squads, I think we've got a superb squad. The interesting thing will be, I think, the nature of the injury to Charlie Lee. If it's a long-term injury, we may be looking to plug a gap there because I think we do need somebody of his stature and I'm not too sure we've actually got some somebody there. I mean, Alex Lawless, for me, isn't quite the same effective player as Charlie Lee is. Um, but that's up to the management. They'll do what they decide they're going to have to do. Hopefully, Charlie Lee, it's just a... a, a it's not a serious injury because he did look in trouble yesterday when he came. Well, I say he looked in trouble when he came off. He actually walked off the pitch at first. He'd gone down and you think, oh, it's a recurrence of the other injury. He was then holding his head um, and it was quite hard to work out. I think Dave and Matt were trying to work out exactly what was wrong with him. I think the holding the head was in frustration that he felt maybe it was a recurrence of that old previous injury. Um, obviously, you, you then don't think it was a... Uh a sort of stroke of luck on Justin's part that Brophy was able to come on and the, the pace um, changed the game. You think Orient would have been as effective with Joby out on that wing anyway? Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, I, I think they may be even more effective. I think they had to regroup um, and all credit to the players and the coaching staff um, for getting it right and getting it spot on. Um, yeah, I think uh, it was a it was a blow when Charlie Lee went off. And as I said... Um, you know, Trevor will know this, he's managed teams as well. You do your pre-game planning and within three or four minutes, somebody's gone off, a, a particularly a ball-winning midfielder, and you've got to completely re, you've got to reshape your side. Given also that you had Craig Clay filling in at right back, Joe Widdison has just come back from a three-match uh, three matches out because of suspension. Um, so yeah, there was there was pressure on that defence there to respond, and they did respond. Yeah. I think it also underlines George's point probably that it was their best result of the season because if you looked, they went they went ten eleven games without changing the side, and the two instrumental in that in the midfield were Craig Clay, who's been absolutely outstanding this season, and Charlie Lee, and then they play one of the best teams in it 
and they change their two midfielder, central midfielders, with Joby coming in uh, and Gorman. And so to have that strength in depth, I think will set them in, in, in real good stead. Um, and I think Gorman, in many ways, was going to be the big summer signing. Um, and we haven't really seen him. Yesterday was his first start. I think he's going to really flourish as the season goes on. He's, he came in, you know, he came when he was injured, and he's had his northern, you know, his international experience. So that's taken him out of the squad. But I think if he gets a run in the side, he'll look a good player. And, and I'm not sure whether I would, I would want to strengthen the midfield too much. I think you know, you've got Gorman, you've got, you've got plenty of yeah, op- options in there. You know, Gorman and Clay, I think, would make a really yeah. good central midfield pairing. Um, you've got. You know, Joby who can drop in. Um, you've got Lawless as well who can come in. And, you know, and Charlie Lee might not be out for too long. I think if you have too many players, it can almost upset the apple cart sometimes. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Gorman play. Uh, personally, when he's come on, he looks really technically sound. He doesn't mind having a go at goal as well. Um, and he looks like he gets around a bit as well. He's He looks like a really good player um, in, in my eyes. Um, it's just, you know, you know, a happy coincidence that... Um, Clay and Lee have really stepped up their games both this season that he's not really had a chance so I don't think we're, we're, we'll be doing too badly with, uh, with Gorman in the side yeah, um, Hopefully obviously Charlie isn't out for very long but it's funny I actually interviewed Charlie in the summer um, and spoke to him about Dale Gorman because they played together at Stevenage and, um, and Charlie actually said that Dale loves the tackle more than Charlie does so although we haven't seen that side of Dale Gorman yet by all accounts he's a ball winning midfielder as well and absolutely loves you know, smashing into players. So that's what Charlie has done for the first three months of the season. Hopefully, like I say, he's not out for too long. But if he is, I think Dow's probably more than capable of stepping in and, and filling the void. Uh, looking at uh, what Justin said after the game, uh, Justin did confirm it was uh, a knee injury and it was the same knee as last season. Uh, but he doesn't believe it's the same injury. Uh, the first diagnosis is uh, medial ligament damage. Uh, but the O's remain uh, positive and hopeful. Uh, Despite that, that is going to keep him out for for some time. And um, interestingly, uh, in the uh, if anyone watched the O show on, on Friday, um, they obviously had the uh, partnership of uh, Clay and Lee talking about uh, the game there, and uh, and they say they have no bigger challenge um, in terms of central midfield than when they play Gorman and Lawless in in training. They say we won't encounter a better central um, midfielder uh, partnership than that. Um, I'm thinking, Martin, there's a little bit of kidology in there, I think, perhaps, but it just shows, um, um, you know, um, Lawless hasn't had that run in the team, but uh, we're always hearing a lot of good things from the other players about him and, and Gorman as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of it's one of those interesting things, isn't it? Is you you always want a settled side, and then immediately you start fretting about the players who aren't getting into the team and aren't getting games just from fitness and also their morale. And but I also think you know, looking back at the four points from these two away games, I don't think we should underestimate the fact that yeah, they conceded a goal in each game, but it was not quite a makeshift defence, but it wasn't with the first choice defence. And um, there's been a you know you see a lot of chat about oh do we need another striker do we need another striker and I, I just think it's quite interesting around the defence there is like is there a request I know always on Championship Manager I always want one of those defenders who can play across the whole of the the back four and I you know it's kind of it, it you do I, I can't see you know he's a great presence in the dressing room and everything but I can't see George Elakobi getting that many more minutes this season you just wonder whether that's actually an area or perhaps in January that they would need to think about just bringing someone in as cover just as you see the suspensions are going to build up and there's always that worry with injuries but I think as, as you know we said I think the midfield looks 
very, very strong. There's a lot of combinations that you can put together. Yeah, the fact that JB can, you know, I agree actually, I don't think JB is as effective in centre midfield, but he's a pretty decent central midfielder. You know, you, you wouldn't be unhappy, um, you know, pick him in that, picking him in that position. Um, so yeah, I think the midfield is fine. I think yeah, it would be great to see see more of Gorman. And you know, Lawless has, I think has done fine when he's been in. You know, um, it's just like trying to trying to break that that partnership up, which now sadly looks like the injury at least for a little while will will have, will have broken up. Uh, we did have a question in if Lee is out for any length of time, do we need to use the the loan market with a busy uh, Christmas schedule on the horizon? That's been. Um, I think that's been roundly uh, thrown out perhaps. Martin Ling uh, did say in the O's show that there is budget actually set aside for emergencies, but um, he, like the point, was raised that obviously you can, um, if you bring in too many people, it can be disruptive um, to the way that the team is is running at the moment. Um, Craig Clay, you obviously, you, you thought Craig Clay struggled to adjust, but Martin gave him his man of the match yesterday. It is, it is great to be able to have that sort of almost utility type and players being able to play in different positions as, yeah as I, I, I wouldn't did. say he struggled to adjust he grew into the position I think as the game wore on um, that's that's the point um, and it was if you like a foreign position to him he's been playing in midfield all season um, and it almost seemed to be the tendency that when we were in possession of the ball um, his natural tendency seemed to be to take up a midfield role um, and um, but once he'd settled in and realised, uh, no, I'm right back today. And as I say, this relationship he had with James Dayton as to, well, uh, uh, also when we were defending the ball as to who put, who picked up the spare man. They had a player playing for them um, yesterday, filed um, a guy, a kid called Halton, who they'd signed from, uh, uh, Norton, sorry, from Salford City, believe it or not, a young player. He was excellent um, and he was on the side. He was playing on their left-hand side. He really had the run of the show in the first half. We closed him down a bit in the second half. But he did look a quality player and he was causing Dayton and uh, Craig Clay um, some problems. But they stuck to their task and, as I say, Craig Clay, all credit to him, uh, grew into the job and into the position. Um, It's not easy, is it, when you're playing playing one position? I mean, midfield to right back is, is quite some ask, I think. And uh, I say credit to him for for sticking to it. Um, And in the end, um, the result, the 3-1, owed as much to his contribution as it did to the other 10 or 11 um, that were there as well. Um, All did a tremendous job. Um, Zanzibar's got a question on the forum. I'll let you take this one. Uh, Actually... Given your connection with the club, I won't let you take that one, Trev. I'll go with George, um, especially given the question's been worded. Um, given Ella Kobe, Lawless and Harold are out of contract in the summer, uh, would you look to exile them to Boko Island uh, so we can bring in two players that will be the difference makers in the starting lineup? Uh, outside of Bond and Karoma up front, our options are poor and we lack a genuine mobile defensive midfielder. Um, I've said for a while that as much as I think Matt Harold can be effective when he's fit, he isn't fit enough. So... I would expect the club to get try and offload him in January, um, similar to what I've done with with Dave Mooney, sort of trying to see if they can get him a new club. Lawless and Elikobi are slightly different cases for me. Um, I think Elikobi, I agree with Martin. He's not gonna he's not gonna start many games now. I don't I don't see. But yesterday's game, actually, in a bizarre ways, is a sort of perfect game to bring him on with ten minutes to go, just to settle anyone down. You know, if, if you bring on George Adekobi with 10 minutes to go, defenders are not really going to be looking forward to that. They're going to be thinking, oh, God, I've just been up against Coulson and Equitetta. I'm now going to get Elikobi. He's probably going to smash me the first time I come go near him. 
So I think Elikobi's got a role when it comes to coming off the bench in games like that um, and thinking way ahead. I mean, if O's didn't win the league and they're in the playoffs and you need to defend a goal late on in a playoff semi-final, I think Elikobi would do very well given his experience. So I don't think Elikobi will go anywhere this season. And I agree with Martin with Alex Lawless as well. I think Alex Lawless isn't good enough to be a regular starter on this team, hence why we've got Craig Lay and Charlie Lee. But he has got a job um, and he can do a role for him. And last year, when Justin Edinburgh took over, I thought he had a really good run in the team um, around December, January time. He was doing very well and then he picked up an injury, unfortunately, and, and lost his place to Abu and Craig Clay. But I think he's definitely got a role for him and he's another that can play pretty much anyway. He can play right back, um, he can play centre midfield. You know, he's not great out wide on the right, but he can do a job there if, he, if I was an injury crisis. So I wouldn't be getting rid of Lawless or Elikobi, but I probably would get rid of Matt Harold. Um, and then if you do get rid of Matt Harold, you can bring another forward in, but I was, do have options there. Um, obviously, Macaulay Bond and Josh Crowe are the main two. I think we need to give James Larby this season um, just to let him settle in because I think we've seen in the past with forwards when they don't get that time to settle in, you know, they can go elsewhere and do very well. And then aside from that, I think Justin could always change the formation if he needs to play other people up front. You know, I'm sure James Dayton could play as a left forward or a right forward and James Brophy's pretty similar. So I think Matt Harold, yes, I'd let go, but not Elikobi or Lawless. Uh, talking of the forwards, uh, it was announced on Tuesday that young forward uh, Ruel Sotiriu has joined National League Southside Chelmsford City on a month-long loan deal. Uh, the highly regarded Cypriot was recently on loan at Bishop Stortford, uh, where he scored one and made five assists in four appearances. Uh, he's actually since made two appearances from the bench for, for the Clarets, playing the last half hour of Tuesday's 3-0 defeat at Concord Rangers, which I believe he had, actually hadn't trained with the team up to that point as well. Uh, and he also came on as an injury time sub in uh, yesterday's victory over uh, Dean Cox's Eastbourne I know he's a guy that's uh, very well thought of and uh, possibly him like a few others uh, see in the London uh, Senior Cup uh, later in the season and we've got some other questions um, Ebu Adams is one that keeps coming uh, up Martin everybody loves a bit of Ebu Adams uh, we saw I think did, did George did you do an article uh, in the East London Advertiser that Orient were obviously observing, yeah, observing the, situation, the situation but, but you sort of dismissed um, Adams yeah, as, I'm, as I'm a 99 sure they will not go back for Adams I think we all saw the reception he got in August, we all saw the way he reacted to the fans. That's a no-go. And, and to be honest, I think it's disrespectful to Craig Clay and to Charlie Lee to even talk about him coming back because Orient are second in the table after 19 games and a lot of that is down to those two centre midfielders. So we don't need Ebu Adams, in my opinion. I mean, Martin, we, we there was a lot of disappointment, obviously, when the Ebu Adams deal didn't go through in the closed season. And uh, I we were, I think we were, people were angry at Ebu, people were, some people were angry at the, the club, and, but it's turned out that perhaps looking how he's played in absolute colours and, and the game particularly against um, Orient, it looks like maybe it's it's turned out well for the O's. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I like, I think everybody was really disappointed that he didn't join the club because I think he did, did an amazing stint for us and he was really, you know, enjoyable to watch and it was, it was a great part of that team. But then I must, uh, I've also got to say, I kind of, I felt like the animosity towards him was really quite undeserved. You know, he, you know, he was, he was at Norwich, he's been sent to Leighton Orient. He's, it's obviously, you know, he's a young guy. He's previously probably had no interest or, you know, uh, in Orient. And he really put his heart and soul in when he was playing for us. And so I, I was a bit disappointed with the reaction that he got. And I, I felt it was a bit unfair on a, a young player who put in a good shift for us. And also remember in that game, I don't know if you remember, um, 
at one point he he ended up vaulting over by the south stand and had a really really big fall and I just like my heart was in my mouth because it was quite close where I was I thought he must have really hurt himself and um, and then I was just thinking that we'd given him such a bad reception and he was obviously like putting a shift in for 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 another team but I, I agree with George I, ca I can't see a reason to go back in for him he, he hasn't you know, he obviously absolutely have been having a very difficult season behind the scenes. So you can always sometimes understand how a young player struggles in in that situation. But I just I, I can't I can't see a reason why he'd want to come back to us now, having one turned us down, and then secondly been on the receiving end of the, uh, of that um, reaction. I think absolutely just gave him a, a better offer. From what I understand of of his situation, he lives closer there. He had friends at the club as well. He just you know wanted to just move to a club where he probably felt a bit more comfortable. Having spent even you know a few months at Orient, he needed a, a more you know, a permanent home. I would take him back. I don't think we need him, but you know he did show what you know the quality that he he does possess um, for us last season. And I don't know, it might be a bit of a red herring that the, the reception that he got. I think it's it's kind of half pantomime, half kind of you know just because he playing he's playing for the opposition. Um, it, there was a little bit even at Paul McCallum on Tuesday night, and you kind of get to think. Pretty much pointless because you know he he left us and that's you know that's what happens in football between football clubs you know people come and people go um, but like I said I, I would take him back personally but I don't think we we need him. I also think there's another thing with with a young player like like uh, uh, Adams is like you think that he's been at a Championship club and he must have been hoping to break through at that level and so then to be signing a deal down in uh, the National League you feel like he must go into that season feeling a bit of a disappointment and that's maybe you know behind a bit of his underperformance perhaps this, perhaps this season I must admit I did a piece with him in the programme last year and he, I've never met anyone so enthusiastic he, and he just loved playing he loved being on the pitch and he knew a lot about games he'd played in and could recall lots of moments and, you know some players in the past can't remember what game they played last week, or you know how many goals they scored, but he was really, he was really up, and he was really enthusiastic. Although, if I remember, his signing on photo for us was an epic <laughs> of the genre. Of like, where, yeah. where have I ended up yeah. here? Uh, I agree with Mark. Uh, we, you know, it is a bit disrespectful. Um, but if we were going to sign an Adams, I think defensive is. Uh, I'd like to sign Tony Adams, I think, than Evo Adams. <laughs> um, James Buchan uh, doesn't uh, agree with the assessment about um, Evo Adams. Uh, quite simply, not interested. He can't pass, great attacking, but that's it. Plus, he kept us hanging on for weeks. Um, so he's um, he's cut the cord. Um, want to ask about um, the 17th and uh, Bromley. Uh, Andrew, we had a nice surprise for football for a fiver uh, last time out and a bit of free beer. You don't have to break it. Um, is there anything special coming up for the 17th? <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. Um, no more free beer this season. Um, right, that's it. We're cutting your mic. <laughs> yeah, but um, we were really pleased with how, how it went. I hope um, all the fans enjoyed a free drink. It was, you know, part of our sponsorship is, you know, bringing, uh, you know, a, a, a few good times back to the club. And fortunately, the club have been holding up their side of the bargain by, by doing some really good stuff on the pitch as well. But... Um, yeah, we really hope everyone uh, enjoyed their free drink and uh, yeah, it probably came as quite a nice surprise, especially to so many visiting fans, of which there was a couple of thousand there for the you know for the first time. If it's that sort of thing that you know helps people come back to the club or like one or two more times, or even you know as a few of us probably have done something like get us their first ever season ticket off the back of it, then um, then so be it. But um, yeah, really looking forward to the game. Obviously, we're wearing 
um, the fourth kit as well. Um, yeah, and it should be another great. Well, yeah, pleasure. I want, want to touch on the fourth kit because obviously the O's going to wear it on the seventeenth. Um, the adult shirt actually sold out in the club shop, and the second batch of the uh, pro- is in the process of being manufactured. Uh, that is the final batch as well. Um, but Dream Team have decided to forego like all the sponsors forgo the sponsorship on the show. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a decision I think taken actually quite early on, um, and uh, yeah, obviously it's. Uh, a moment and uh, a bit of the club's history that is is so poignant um and yeah it would it would probably look wrong to have a, a sponsor on it you know to to keep in um uh, in line with with what the kit would have originally been like um you know 100 years ago um, i'm really looking forward to it and um i'm, I'm glad that they've got the second stocking because I, I was too late for the first round I've got to be honest, I would be in favour of us just adopting that as our home kit again. I think it's very mm. distinctive. and uh, But also, I mean, you know, I first sort of like became aware of Orient in the 70s, so during the sort of like the braces period. So to be honest, it's always seemed weird to me that we play in red, even though it's been the bulk of the time I've been going to, to the games. I just, like to me, but I, I you know, I, th- I think the, the fourth kit looks lovely. I think it's a great gesture and I'd love, love to see us adopt a kit that looks more like that in the future as our first kit. Well, we've just got a minute and um, of course I just wanted to touch on on um, the uh, shirt is of course a replica of the one uh, the Clapton Orient boys uh, wore on the eve of going to fight off in uh, fighting World War One. And uh, myself, Andy Gilson, Terry Howard, Barry Galvin, and others went to the opening night of uh, the play about the Clapton Orient boys, the greater game on Tuesday. And uh, we get a quick comment from you, George, because I know you've seen it, and it's well, it's a brilliant, powerful play, especially that second half. Yeah, I think powerful is the word. Um, you know, I think it, it has you in in laughter and and close to tears in equal measure. Um, and it was the first time I'd seen the play and I knew the story. Um, I, well, I, I thought I knew the story, but to be honest, it, it tells you so much more about the actual story of those 41 players signing up. Um, and I'm sure I don't need to tell O's fans to go, but if you haven't seen it before, and even if you have, it's definitely a must watch. It's absolutely brilliant. And everyone involved has done a superb job of it. And it was a brilliant cast. You got until the 25th of November to actually see that at the Walter Louise Theatre. Um, but uh, some performances, including the last night, are sold out already, so getting quick. And um, well, and Michael Head said uh, somewhere it's likely to be the last running of the play as well. Uh, so get your tickets. Just time to thank uh, my panel for tonight. Uh, our journo panel of uh, Paul Hiscock, Trevor Davis, uh, Martin Bellum, Andrew Butler and George Sessions. Uh, thank you to everyone as well for listening in. Uh, and thank you to the team behind the scenes. Uh, Andy Gilson, Paul Golder, Elliot Byrne and Steve Roach we'll be back here uh, next Saturday uh, next Sunday not it's not Saturday next Sunday at 6 with another edition of the Orient Hour